Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hey, what's going on, Cogheads? We are coming at you again, shock jock style, here in the studio. Cyrus, the socialist brother, coming at you, here with Chase, the Christian brother. We have a fun episode for you today. Going to continue the reading series get our heads a little bit off of the uh, the news, which is getting more and more depressing by the day, um, and get, get into uh, something a little bit more heady. Um, so, uh, and personal. Yeah, Chase, what are, we, what are we talking about today? Digging into Colossians. So not too long ago, Cyrus and I were saying goodbye to a family member, um, in this life at least, and uh, discussing a lot of things as we always do when we get together. And uh, asked him to crack the book of Colossians just because it packs so much. There's a lot of fundamental uh, core precepts of Christianity and what life's about and what life's not about. And we were wrestling with life and death at the time. And so we decided we would uh, let Colossians cut in line uh, before the Gospels and uh, we'll bring one of the Gospels up next time. Yeah, for those who missed it, we did an episode on Ecclesiastes a couple weeks back, um, which was was really enjoyable for me. And one of my favorite, actually, to just, I think, kind of go back and forth on and it has had a huge impact on me that reading, namely, attacking the idol of productivity. And man, if like, this is if all is smoke, then what do I really want to focus my time and energy on? And, And it's a gift of God to enjoy life. That's an old episode. But it was huge, hugely impactful and still is on me. Yeah, that episode was uh, surprisingly frictionless for me, or maybe not surprisingly, as I've been attacking the idol of productivity for my whole life. Through <laughs> uh, <laughs> personal example. With yeah. the concept of productivity. Um, uh, so that, that's, that spread like butter on fresh bread for me. <laughs> um, this one was a bit more challenging and definitely got me, me my wheels spinning in uh, different directions and got the engines turning. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it because it's going to, I think, have a little bit more back and forth between Chase and I than Ecclesiastes did. Um, but it's been so far, our discussions about it have been pretty rewarding. So, yeah. so Chase, first... what did you have in mind for discussing Colossians exactly? Yeah, and just this is our pair going through the Bible uh, and some key books as we're going through some selections from uh, communist literature. We've done Communist Manifesto chapter one. So, uh, yeah, so you know what? I want to discuss, I think, three core points to Colossians. I think you've got some questions ginned up. Uh, Before that, we want to cover a little bit of introduction and context, though. So this is one of the epistles. Um, As such, it's a letter from one of the apostles to uh, a person or a group of people. And so this is Paul, St. Paul, formerly Saul, who was persecuting Christians and, and killing them and, and uh, locking them up in jail. Um, he had a huge conversion. So uh, his whole testimony and the fact that he's even writing this letter is evidence of, that's really interesting. But he's actually writing to the uh, church uh, Christians, the new Christians, Jews and Gentiles, both in a place called Colossae, and he's never met these people. And he's sending it by somebody's hand uh, to 
uh, to encourage them. Uh, they're looking for, they've been under some persecution and they want a little bit more, not just a reminder, but he's writing to encourage the church and clarify what they believe. Some and so, so for, for those who aren't maybe as Bible familiar as, as we are, this is a series of, of several epistles, right? This is letters. This, this is a series of several of those letters to churches. Yeah, right. So the book of Philippians is a church um, in Philippi or a group of people, not like a building um, that are in Philippi. And each one of these cities has like their own personality. Interesting about Philippi, you know, basically a Roman retirement commu- community, really nationalistic pro-military sort of thing. It's the Mar-a-Lago of uh, Asia Minor. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, or um, Ephesians written to the Christians scattered throughout Ephesus, uh, that church and region. And so um, some of them are named after the writer um, or like uh, like James um, and or, you know, first and second John. Uh, This one is named after the group of people he was writing to. Mm. Yep. Uh, one thing that's really interesting uh, for the maybe the Christians out there, uh, this has this this letter has some interesting tie-ins with the book of Philemon. Um, the person carrying the letter, so Paul was either in prison or in Rome or both when he was writing this, and he, he sends it by the hand of a man named Tychicus uh, with someone who was a former runaway slave whom Paul had uh, trained and raised up and and. Uh, maybe evangelized and, and discipled into becoming a Christian. And he says to receive this runaway, former runaway slave, whose name is. Wait, who does Paul says that? Yeah. Yeah. So to... Paul says this at the end of the letter, I'm just giving some oh, thrills okay. on this letter. Um, Onesimus. So the runaway, former runaway slave's name is Onesimus. He says, receive Onesimus as a brother. Right. And, and then in the letter to Philemon, which Antichicus also has in his hands, he basically says, hey, I know he was a, you know, a former runaway slave. I'm not going to tell you to receive him as a free man and brother, but I'm going to ask you to. And if you really want, if you're willing, send him back to me because he was a really big help to me. So huge, like one proposition for probably anti-slavery here, but that's a different book. And we'll focus on what's going on in Colossians. So that's just some of the, the connection. If you're really interested, read Colossians, read Philemon. And you'll see the, uh, the the similar names going on. And they thought it's it's pretty well it's pretty well accepted that this was written around like a 62 um, A.D. B.C.E. However you're inclined, first century, first century. Gotcha. Okay. My understanding, at least growing up, you know, Sunday school and blah blah blah, and and even now, you know, looking back or reflecting on Christianity in general, like it doesn't if you don't believe that. Jesus is the son of God and was res- died and resurrected. That, that's like the whole, that's, that's all there is to Christian, not all there is to Christianity, but it's kind of the, the bottom line up front, which is yeah. sort of what the first chapter of Colossians, Colossians seems like to me is a real, you know, like, all right, let's get this out of the way. Now, this is the deal. And then he goes into more nuanced stuff. Yeah. And, and then how much Christ can do for you. Christ is God. So first point, What's the big deal about Jesus? It's all about Jesus. Christ is God. To quote one, the message version of uh, Colossians, you don't need a telescope, a horoscope, or a microscope to realize the fullness of Christ. Um, And the entire fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ. So if you want to know what God thinks about something or what God's like 
or what God would have said in a certain situation, read Jesus. That's that. And modeling our life, getting more of Jesus and Jesus' spirit in our life is the point of life. And he says very straight up, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. Right. They want to drag you into endless arguments. And in fact, in a different book in Timothy, one of the ones I was you know, working on memorizing is like um, avoid empty, irreverent speech and um, knowledge that falsely bears the name or contradictions to the knowledge that falsely bears that name. Right. And he Paul says, would like, love me. Well, he says basically like <laughs> like don't go for knowledge for knowledge's sake. You right. need to take hold of Jesus G- with, without Jesus. Everything else is like without God. And that's why Jesus sort of gets away with saying, if you don't accept me, you don't accept God because I am God. God is in me and God is me. He came in, he came as hundred percent man, hundred percent God. And that's, I think the first monster point here. And would you say that was a pretty big departure from Judaism? I mean, I know that you're not, we're not Jewish. We don't have a Jewish background, but you do know more than I do. Um, probably more than most people who aren't Jewish. Um, it seems to me that the the Jewish perspective on faith and religion was that it, like there was much more, it was, it was much more of an academic and sort of mystical um, or mysterious uh, endeavor. You know, there was a lot of philosophy behind some of the, the Jewish theology, I feel. Great question. And a lot of different ages and epochs of, you know, Jewish observance and, and intensity of that, but maybe to try to give us a frame of reference, right? Like sort of being postmodern American, imagine, the most conservative area in the Middle East that reveres the name of Allah and then like go back a thousand or 2000 years. And I know Islam started around, you know, in the 1700s, but I'm just saying like go back a thousand years and where you would have been killed very quickly for just disgracing the name of Allah. Well, that's about the kind of intensity the Jews had for the name of God and God's most holy name, like Yahweh. When God says, when he's talking to Moses in the burning bush and Moses says, well, who should I tell the Jews, my family members who sent me? What, what God's name is, is this God? And he goes, well, I am the great. I am. That's who I am. Right. When Jesus uses that name for himself, I am the great. I am. That's where you see a lot of these scriptural references to like the leaders tearing their clothes because such great blasphemy, like merits a stoning and an immediate death. And so the Jews get off of, and in this way, crucifying him because he claims to be God. And so, uh, yeah, huge departure in that Jesus taught with authority that healed with authority, did miracles with authority. I can forgive your sin and to show you, I have this authority. Boom. Here's, you know, get up and walk. So that was a total different, like we worship God who's sort of unreachable and Jesus says, I'm God here. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It would be, it would be as if some, person today started claiming they were all in, in yeah and in, then what in, would be even Saudi wilder in, in Riyadh or something like yes that. and then <laughs> being like and if you don't believe me blind man from birth open right exactly and then and people the, would have to be meanwhile, like meanwhile the people he's pointing at are like the princes of saudi arabia you know or yeah the, right right and so yeah yeah that's a real good like that would cause quite a stir in fact and, and that's he was uh, at a certain points in his ministry like rock star had thousands of people following him from town to town. Right. Well, and that, that kind of brings me to maybe another point that, that was one of my main takeaways, which is because um, I was kind of just like trying to put myself in, in the shoes of these early Christians or in the right. mindset of those people. Dangerous place um, to you be. Know, the, the first people like, why, w- why would you follow Christ? You know, um, if you're just a, a normal 
Judean or, or our Jew living, living somewhere in, in that part of the world. And um, what, what it struck me as is, is sort of the same reason why I think, you know, communism is, is appealing to the working and, and masses and the lower classes, which is it, it recognizes in a, in a quality of spirit. Um, and an innate equality between, um, you know, all, all living men, even though that we have our differences and there are certain things that other people are better at and what, what not, but the, every, like the riches of God's kingdom are offered equally to each person. Mm, um, yeah. Well, equal access maybe in the sense. Um, and yeah, I think that, okay. So you saying that brings up one cultural context where, um, the Chosen, um, new miniseries, if you really great, done cinematically, you know, excellent, um, as well as I just watched Cyrus Quick Aside, Judah Ben-Hur, the 1959 version, uh, based on your and dad's recommendation. Samantha Is that the, that's the um, the one with, with like 11 Oscars, Charlton Heston. Yeah, Charlton Heston. Yeah. What a freaking film. And it, the Chosen and Judah Ben-Hur, big plugs for both of those do a really good job laying out how the Jews in their tradition, in their religion, were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah was going to throw off Rome who had indiscriminate killings and like levied undue taxes and all that sort of thing. And so they were waiting for the Messiah. And so when Jesus is healing things and is, is a rock star, they're waiting for him to like, lead the charge against Rome as well, in a sense, right? You had a lot of people debating his identity, but yeah. Right, right. Some some warrior on a horse to uh, ride in and conquer the, yeah, like free Zion. Uh, the evil empire. Right, right, right. And yeah. so, as it says, it, he will do in scripture. Uh, we just, you know, yeah, believe it's he's going to do that next time. So, sure. um, so that was so there's a lot of anticipation building as well. That probably, you know, helps explain why he was such a rock star. Yeah, that, that makes sense that finally someone was there saying it. And he seemed to have his head on his shoulders to an extent. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that is just kind of, I don't know. The there's only one. been so many people's ideas who have persisted this far in, into the modern and postmodern era um, outside of, you know, those uh, that of Muhammad and, and the Islamic prophets and then Jesus and, and other lesser prophets of Christianity and Judaism um and other and other religions the buddha and 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 others really there's only been a couple secular ones that persist in that same way and one being Karl marx you know whether you like him or not at one point not too long ago a third of the world's population was under the the rule of people who professed you know that belief and still even though a lot of people like to pretend it might not be but it's definitely still a force in the world um i mean just in this last year, seen multiple people in South America win elections sort of under at least a quasi, you know, Marxist banner. And, and I think that that, you know, Paul gets into this too a little bit in the text is like just the power of that belief. And like, that is what powers you to action. You know, that's what keeps Paul going as he sort of talks about in certain passages in this of like, yeah, I'm working really hard, but you know, I got God's power. So it keeps me going. Um, and, and it seems to be that is, is part of his message to the Colossians as well, is that the, the, um, the, it, it will be belief that, that gets them to where they need to go. Mm. Or you believe in God's power. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Uh, my second point, it really builds off the first. If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. 
And what I mean by that is like people who accept Christ, uh, like their old life, the one they had, you know, in obedience and in temptation to their, like the sinful desires is dead. And this new life, the, the real life, um, while invisible to any kind of spectators, um, is with Christ in God and the Christ is your new life. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you to quote a different book. Now, so, now you're kind of bearing the lead here, I feel, because I, like the scripture part of this, and maybe you can help explain and clarify this to me, because he gives to what seems like to me some conflicting guidance. Oh, yeah, in go. In regards to this, because in, in part two of Colossians, um, book two, I don't know. Chapter. Chapter two. Yeah. Um, man, it's been a while since Sunday school. But uh, but in book two of Colossians, he, he's talking about how how the rules of man, you know, rules that say do not handle, do not do not touch, do not taste are are not to be are not important, basically, or not 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 necessarily not important, but just should be disregarded. Um, and he does clarify and say that the rules of man, but then in the cha- in uh, chapter three of, of Colossians, he then dives into talking about, okay, but yeah, but don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, you know, like sexual immorality and lust and, and these other indulgences, like don't take part in those. So what, what's the deal there? Why is he in chapter two saying, well, when other people tell you this, don't worry about it. But when I tell you this, then do worry about it. What's he getting at there? Yeah, good question. I'll just read some of those verses in chapter two and chapter three to sort of illuminate if that's cool. Sure. Um, okay, and when you, uh, 2.13, and when you were dead in your trespasses and sins or offenses against God and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, he made you alive with him and forgave all your sins, trespasses, offenses against God. That's Christ. Uh, Christ erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against you and us and opposed to us and has taken it out of uh and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross okay therefore don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or the matter of a festival or a new moon or a sabbath day these are a shadow of what is to come okay and so i agree with you he's basically saying like don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do right there in fact in other a book and written to the uh, corinthians he basically says if you've got the maturity you can eat meat sacrificed to idols in an idol's temple. That's probably something today I would be like, I probably shouldn't yeah, do that. Yeah, that um, seems. <laughs> right. And he says, don't do it if you, you know, if, if by doing it, you confuse or tempt other, you know, younger believers. So we certainly have a freedom there. Okay. But to, to try to bolster and understand your point, you say in chapter three, he says, uh, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on the, what is on earth. Um, skipping ahead, therefore, uh, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And so, and then he even goes on longer and gives us other, another list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. So you're like, okay, well, I can't sleep around and I can't be greedy and angry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but, but is, so from my perspective, at least the way I see it, and maybe this is just through my own interpretation because it's more convenient this way, but that it's not so much about the actual like behaviors themselves, like in and of themselves outside of the context, because he doesn't really talk about like, okay, yeah, like sexual immorality is bad because of very specific reasons. 
what it seems more like to me is he's, he's bringing these up as examples because, well, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's writing yeah. to people who are more serious believers. Yeah. Yeah. And right? I was hoping to make that distinction. Okay. Okay. He's that's, not well, that's what saying I like, he's not saying, Hey, Christians in America force everyone who doesn't believe in God or, or proclaim Jesus to abide by the same moralities you do. He's not saying that here. He's saying, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, then seek what is above. So there's a huge distinction there that I think we as Christians today get hypocritically wrong. But continue. And I feel like even that phrase in and of itself, like if you've been raised with the Messiah is like, not just like, yeah, you're a believer, but like, you're like a believer. Well, yeah, like, like you've, you've, you've decided you've been. Uh, so the, the symbolism here is baptism. And yeah. so you've okay. you were, when, when you get dunked into the water, you are dead. You are in the ground based on your sins currently right now. Okay. And when you decide to accept Jesus' sacrifice, you are raised to life again. You have a new life in you, which is the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, so you've been raised to life. You have new life, even immortal life in you, God's life. It, it's, um, and your, your spirit will have life um, and not you know, be sent to death and hell when you, are, when you are raised. And so he says, if you've been raised, then... Well, then like your spirit is with God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Then yeah. set your minds on things above. Don't do on this earth what you wouldn't do with God because that's where you're at. Like, yeah, don't 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 take a step backwards. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, like, yeah, you're are, you've already gotten to that next level. Live on that next level. And you were saying um, something interesting here, too, because I think especially today, like, wow, like, especially if you're not a believer and you're like, man, I wouldn't want to give up all that stuff. Well, there's a huge joy. Right. And in a different book, Galatians or to uh, he's saying like he lays out all the works of the flesh or some of them that, we, you know, you shouldn't do. But then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is and this is the, the fruit that comes with raising and sending your life on things above and letting uh, God run your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness and self-control of which there is no law things against those. So like you can have those in abundance love peace and joy if you submit to god here so i think he's so he is saying like you're on a new way it's kind of like a to use a very cultural example have you seen uh, the mandalorian yes right this yeah. is the way right like way. you don't when you come along this way then and when you have god in you god doesn't do these things like you just you can't just step off the path this you know, is the way. You'll, you'll in fact, before it was called, so in the book of Acts somewhere, it says like, and they were like the, the followers of Christ were first called Christians, like in this church, I'll have to look it up. But before it was there, you were known as a Christian. You were known as like the follower of the way. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Now, that, that that's, I, I feel like it, it reminds me of, of some, some conflicts uh, among the, uh, the socialist left, you know, cultural ones. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You, our, you mentioned this. Go ahead. And, and, and to you know, kind of bring it back to the, some of the some of the similarities between Christianity and communism, which you know might sound sacrilegious to a lot of people. No, you're working hard. Me, I appreciate it. Hear me out for a second, which is to say that you know, in my from my perspective, communism or Marxism is is the material manifestation or the material mirror image of the metaphorical Christianity. Um, you know, because it is also about setting the captives free. It is a it is a liberation. Um, based project it's about you know uh providing some uh providing freedom to people who who do not have it uh and 
that in and of itself, like you might think that like, that's the freedom just to do whatever you want. Right. You know, like, okay, well now that I'm free, now I can live my life exactly how I want, which that is true to an extent, but the idea behind communism, I think, so to to explain the conflicts going on, you know, there are some among the socialist left who might say like, oh, socialists shouldn't, shouldn't really engage in any sort of indulgent behavior, hedonistic behavior, you know, no drugs, no casual sex, no, no, that type of thing. And, and I'm more on the side of like, well, that's a sure way to not recruit anybody. Uh, <laughs> just well, it sounds like, but if you're serious about things, like we can't be, uh, it, it doesn't do good for the cause if you're consuming um, unresponsibly because in a, you know, pure socialist situation here, like you can't have someone show up to a commune and not do any work. And well, so yeah, and, and, and it's it's also just this understanding that freedom, what it brings is actually rather than just total freedom of action and, and reaction to your life, it brings it brings knowledge and responsibility it brings experience and it brings responsibility. Yes. Once you are like the idea is, you know, obviously this is, you know, in some ways theoretical, but the, with a fully, truly uh, democratic communistic society with with equal economic and political rights then the freedom people will seek will not be the freedom to, you know, just engage in whatever hedonism they can to distract themselves from their life, but they will have a a fuller understanding of freedom that, that those things like those more hedonistic behaviors of which I engage in from time to time and have definitely engaged in to a greater extent in my past. um, They don't provide you with freedom. They're just another thing to, to chase after. Um, oftentimes. And if you can have that relationship where it's not like that, then great. And I think people should be, have the ability to do that. But it's to say, to your point that if you're serious about the, about the project, like that, that freedom uh, will open you up to the knowledge that true satisfaction in life comes from service um, and from, from uh, dedication to your, to your fellow man, I think. And those other things are just maybe, you know, nice extras that you can indulge in from time to time, but but the reality is, is that if you're serious about something that it requires, it does require some self-denial and sacrifice of instant gratification. Yeah, that's certainly a communism that we don't like to pitch in America. Uh, we like to, we like the Soviet kind of communism that's pure evil or the one that doesn't, you know, always fails because people don't work. Well, I mean, I think that's that just speaks to just the, the experience we have in this country, which is a consumer one. You know, we think of freedom in terms of our ability to consume. That's really where our freedom in this country lies is, well, I can have the mint Oreos or the double stuffed or the golden or the double golden or or they have this new gingerbread flavor or the peanut butter Oreo flavor, or the butterscotch flavor. Which one do you choose? Uh, ooh, that's man. I'm about to out myself. You know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a double stuffed golden Oreo guy. Oh, okay. I will say though, the lemon Oreos are excellent. Speaks to the kind of women you pursue as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, what that I means no at idea all. What that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Dear listener, do not read into that. Yeah. I have um, no clue, but <laughs> the metaphor was just too juicy to hang. Yeah. To yeah. Hang hang on. I, got so. you, I got you. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that is how we conceive of freedom. So then when you talk about like a fuller version of freedom, then people think, you know, like, oh, well, then that just means that everyone's just going to consume as much as they can, which I mean, is not the type of society I want to create. I just want one where the, the, the things that people need to live are not scarce. Um, 
but I'll get off that soapbox and let's get back onto. Uh, no, the no, it's uh, it's a good soapbox because you asked me before, and I'm not sure if we've addressed this question squarely yet. We don't have to do it totally now, but you're like, yeah, like what kind of this just try what what does Jesus say about freedom, and does Christ offer any kind of freedom? And it is for freedom that like Christ has set us free, right? In the sense of like we were once slaves to these temporal passions, whether they be sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, evil desire, greed. Now I have like a higher law working in me. I have a higher power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can overcome greed, mm. right? Yeah. And I, and, I, and I can and I do because God powers me. And so it's a, certainly a freedom and a freedom of and a freedom to the fruit of the spirit that I mentioned. But it's also a, a, therefore like, it's, there's a responsibility in that freedom that I do what keeps me free. Well, it's the, it's the same negative freedoms that I think that, that socialists like to talk about, like freedom from fear, freedom from, uh, you know, a, a culture or a society that is trying to lead you astray, uh, is trying to corrupt you, you know, in, in, in certain ways. And, and not to make the, belabor the point and say that, you know, Christianity and Marxism or communism are the exact same or whatever. I don't believe that, but there are some marked similarities. And I think being able to dig into some texts like Colossians, which is a little bit more nitty gritty, a little bit more technical is, is showing me that, or certainly showing me aspects of it as we go through. Yeah, very good. Um, I could keep using verses to support that point, but yeah. To close that second one off, Christ has come to set us free, to set you free, listener, of anything that is afflicting or, or waging war against your soul. Greed, depression, loneliness. Like with, with God in you, you get serene peace that is beyond understanding. And if you can't feel it, then either not hitting it right or you've missed it completely. Because right. he promises it. And if he promises it, it comes. So the third one I thought would be a little bit more inflammatory, but it's certainly culturally relevant to the audience he's writing to. Paul takes on a huge deal here. And he doesn't really address politics very frequently besides like honor uh, the emperor and love God. But, and that's not in this book. He takes on the Roman family structure, which is super core to Roman politics and any kind of like Roman ways of, of about things like the Roman family structure was patriarchal, right? We know like maybe um, in, in some senses, some cultures have a matriarchal one where like the head, the oldest woman in the household like has some wasta. Well, right. in Rome, <laughs> the oldest man and the man of the house had all the wasta and the, the children could be objects. The woman, the wife was treated as like the wife, the man treated her. Right. And yeah. had any kind of licentious behavior outside Almost of that. a master slave relationship. Almost, man. And um, that came with, you know, a lot of uh, patriotism and it came with a lot of responsibility. But um, whatever the husband says, uh, said went. And so what I'm, the point here is Christianity was, is and will be family radical and also anti-chattel slavery. And what do I mean by that? He basically says, like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church or go all in for the in love for your wife and don't be bitter to them or don't uh, abuse them or don't manipulate. And so that is like writing against what was happening. And right. So it's People very who have practical. been raised up in a society their whole life where they've seen these relationships played out over and over again in very much the same way. And him coming along and saying like, 
actually, well, that's, that's kind of gets to a point that I was thinking about while reading this. And maybe you can, as you continue to talk, clarify, which is like, it doesn't seem like the goal of the early Christians or Paul was to change the political system or the system in general, but it does seem much more in line with that, like idea of trying to sort of change the behavior of, of the Christians specifically who are operating within that system. Yeah. Well, keeping them to account to behave as they ought to of if they have literally a new life and a new spiritual force in them. Right. right? And so to not be governed so, so, you by, know, the, you're, you're right. and by the rules of man. But. Cyrus, man, you're right. And that one's really challenged me. And, and I'm, we've talked offline about me avoiding or quitting some behaviors, particularly those that are political, because like, I think I should probably vote in this democracy, but, um, but I shouldn't be so concerned about it. I should be much more focused on sp- helping people develop maturity in Christ and or meet Jesus rather than talking about like some sort of law I think is, you know, more just or better for people, even if, you know, whatever. So, so yes, I think you're right. He's talking to the condition in which, so like this, this book could be written and applied under a King in communism, everything else. And uh, just so I'm not playing. Now that's not to say that like people, you know, Christians or or any group like shouldn't change their behavior based off of the context of the situation, you know, because things change and, and some things make more sense during different times than others, but that does seem to be what he's getting at here. Yeah. Yeah. And we can take on if the American revolution was biblical or not at a different time. Cause that's kind of some of where these conversations go. Ooh, um, different story. It's not addressed in Colossians. Um, <laughs> that's a spicy one. But just because I talked out the husbands here and I know you mentioned it in some of our prep combos, like it also says wives be submissive to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And so um, that's challenging now, particularly in the culture we're in. Like I married a New York city, you know, grew up Jewish type A plus woman who um, God himself says, you stiff necked people, right? <laughs> um, so the, it's, it's, this is hard in practice, but we're certainly called to. And I think there's a lot of fair um, counters to this. Like, what are you talking about having women submit to men? Number one, men have jacked it up. They have hypocritically abused this position, particularly in the last hundred years. Like this 1950s America wasn't some iconic dealio. Like you had men sleeping around with secretaries, treating their women poorly um, or th- their wives and or unlovingly. Right. At the and, height of so-called. Yeah. No, that, values, and that's, that and that's not, not the, the model yeah. that I think we should go back to, which I think sometimes popular Christians sort of like revert to. No, we need to go forward to husbands literally loving their wives and families to the point where they would die for them and not just when it matters, but every day. And then um, not in return, but on their own wives submitting to uh, like a husband's leadership. And so you, you need good leadership to be able to submit to that understood there. But like, you see what I'm saying? Like both are separate and not dependent on the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I won't pretend that I don't think it's at least a little problematic still, but it, it does provide a little well, bit more context. You can poke holes in this one if you want. Like, I mean, it's a poke holes in any of the other ones. If you think there's like a legit, like fallacy well, I just, or something. I like, I don't know. I listen, my experience with relationships is, is fairly limited. I'll say, uh, <laughs> but what I will say is, and maybe, maybe this will change as I get older, but it, it does seem to work better when both people are part of the decision-making process. Um, and, oh, and yeah. Part of, 
Well, and so hundred percent. And, and that there's no unilateral. Dis- well, yeah, I guess I mean, sometimes you have to choose the restaurant, you know, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I don't think this is, um, so as is fitting to Lord, right. Um, other versions might use this. I'm trying to think of, find a different, um, translation here. Um, uh, wives understand and support your uh, okay different translation wives um, and we're getting toward the original Greek intention here wives understand and support your husbands by, by submitting to them in ways that honor the master okay so submitting to them in ways that honor the God yeah now that doesn't mean like you will not be seen or heard and that's certainly not the way God deals with us what's really fascinating and evidence of God loving us wanting our participation in relationship and buy-in he asks things when moses is talking about things or when abraham says like will you will you save this city for this many people like yes i'll save it it's not a dictatorial do this and submit it's a there's a partnership there god extends a partnership to us christ certainly calls us friends and so in that way there is not really unilateralism and sometimes I guess there, there can be and may need to be, but that's not what he's advocating for here. I think he's like just given everything else because it's everything is in relation to God, the husband right. in relation to God, the wife, the children as well, and the slaves. And we'll talk about in a, that in a second. Like that's the, the, the common point. I also have to imagine, and, and you know, I, I don't know this to be true for sure, but the, I, the precarious existence of Christians during that time um, probably inculcated a little bit more of a spirit of discipline upon even individual family units. Like you could be killed or imprisoned for being a Christian. Am I wrong? Yeah. And then yeah. I like said there it. probably did need to be some more like, Hey, like this is what we're doing. Like everybody follow me on this one. And I, I don't know. I don't mean to just totally speculate, which is what I'm doing, but it, uh, by totally speculating, that seems to make some sense to me. I mentioned this in uh, like the Brother of Christ episode, uh, but I, th- I think it was Josephus. It might have been a different early extra biblical source, whether it was a, a letter from a Roman to a Roman or the historian, Jewish historian Josephus, basically writing about early Christian meetings. And yeah, man, they were they were low key. They would get in together in someone's homes. And this is like early, you know, first, second century. Yeah. You get together, sing songs to G- Christus as to God, right? And yeah. then they would eat very humble meals, which was also not very a Roman quality. Like Rome, you know, we were extravagant pigs in that sense. And then they would get together, you know, later on. Like they would, they would, they would worship and they would take oaths of commitment to chastity, to humble living, to these sorts of things before themselves and then leave. And like that was the early church. They were meeting under the threat of vicious death to yeah, well, Jesus during that time humbly. in these places, was it illegal to be? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. And then okay. all, and, and different provinces and different ways. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. different levels of severity of punishment, I imagine. But right. And so, uh, like, I think we don't think of it like this, but we ought to think of this more as Christians. There's before the Holy Roman Empire and then the church went corporate and then after. And we live in an after era where things are way different than all these books were written. And it doesn't mean we can't apply these books, but we need to use extra knowledge and wisdom to be like, wait a second, like the government now believes this. And that brings in odd things and certain potentials for abuses that we've really jacked up over millennia. 
Yeah, you know, it's it, it makes me think going through some of the, you know, Marxist revolutionary history that I've been uh, reading over the last couple months. And, and, and there were, there were several times when I think there were genuine chances for world revolution um, that were given up by the leaders of, of certain factions of the socialist mm. movement. And it's because they had, a, they had something to lose then. You know, like mm-hmm. they, at that point, like they had like middle, the leaders, at least the leadership had like middle-class existences and they had some political success and, and legitimacy. And when that happens, when you're, when you're taken out from that underdog, paranoid, you know, fighting for your very existence every day position and into one where you're next to power and next to, uh, you know, uh, economic uh, success, then all of a sudden you start to have things to lose and the sacrifices that you have to make become much more like real. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah, it speaks to a bit of self-interest like post Constantine's conversion to Christianity and Rome's incorporation of it. You had people becoming Christians out of like self-interest to avoid persecution, to gain political clout and, you know, religious standing before you had people doing out of a different kind of self-interest. There was, and this there can be now, but genuine love, joy, and peace coming from this that you would take in exchange for the threat of dying. So that's why I said there's a big before and after that we got to like separate. This is not about joining a church. This is not about, um, you know, uh, sort of putting on the Christian evangelical tag. This is about, Jesus and love, joy, and peace. And it's all about it. So I've been uh, practicing a new thing with people in Bible studies and that sort of thing. Um, Maybe just two questions and you can hold them out to, from your own heart to a certain degree, but how would you summarize like what you read in the book? And then let's start there. How would you, number one, how would you summarize what you read? That's, that's, that's interesting because it kind of not necessarily jumps around, but he's trying to hit points, it seems like in this letter to the Colossians, you know, the first chapter is really all about Christ specifically, and, and what his whole deal is. He is the image of the invisible God. Right, exactly that he he is not just the son of God, but the full embodiment of God. And that said, that is why we're all here. You know, like it's the whole, it's the reason for the season. Okay. Um, and then as he goes into more stuff, it just seems like kind of, you know, to, to rehash some of the stuff we talked about before, he's talking about to me what it means to be a genuine, not just a genuine believer, but like a seeking Christian, a genuinely seeking, uh, seeking after the face of Christ. Um, and chapter two is more about like, well, these are the things that could distract you from that. Sure. You know, this is what this is what could lead you astray from or some of the things that could lead you astray. And then chapter three is here's how to stay on the beam. Uh, you know, here's where where the real the rub, the rubber meets the road in terms of how to be a Christian seeking the face of Christ. Okay. Um, chapter four was I seemed to be more administrative in some respects. Um, yeah, it is. And you know what, knocking or addressing people and greetings and these sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, minutes of the meeting sort of sort of stuff. Um, okay. But, but overall, yeah, I would say that, that that's, 
that's sort of yeah what I, this is a, a book certainly addressed to like uh, how to live and the the fundamental truths and precepts um i think what's really interesting is they want this information despite all the persecution right and so there is a lot of love joy and peace coming from what they believe and uh okay awesome second question is if what he's saying is true about the nature or identity of Jesus, then what would that mean uh, for people or f- and for you? Well, that's a good question. And I think to answer, to answer that just right off the bat, before I get into my question for you go uh, is I would say, well, then obviously, yeah. I mean, if, if this is true, then you uh, should, be striving to live your life as Christ lived his and to replace as much of your, you know, or to fill your body and to fill your, you know, your, your spirit with as much of Christ's spirit as you can in in this life through, you know, behaving like him, behaving towards others, like he would and seeking after, after him and what he has to offer. Um, Now, regardless of the other, um, you know, can I ask, one more bonus question, just yes, bonus question. probably a yes or no answer. Um, do you see in your own belief, could you be a Christian that's laid out like it is in Colossians and a Marxist or and a socialist? Um, you mean in terms of like the behavioral uh, and political, right? Like, can you have Christ in this? Can you believe every word of this and, and obey it and be a Marxist or and be a socialist? I think you can um, you can definitely be a socialist for sure. Um, Marxism is a little trickier to say just because one not you know a lot of the degrees. philosophy behind and, it, and, so, and yeah. some of that you know is more more technical um, in in a sense. That's fair, um, fair, fair. But do I think you could you do could those two things coexist? Absolutely, I think that okay. most of the critique of Marxism towards religion is about the way in which power uses it to um, either uh, relieve in ways slightly relieve the oppression of people to, to be like a vent for their frustrations uh, or uh, to use it to continue to oppress people. But um, what I would say then is my question to you is reading Paul, like Paul certainly expands on some of the stuff Jesus is saying. So like from your perspective, why should we trust Paul, this person who, you know, I mean, aside from his just personal story, um, what makes like what he's saying legitimate? Yeah, no. So quickly on his personal story, he was on the road to Damascus where he was going to persecute and capture and kill more Christians and then had a like struck blind. Here's a voice from heaven. Conversion. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. And then uh, says he sees Christ and then has a Christian who's very afraid of him um, get a vision and a command to go give Paul his sight back and does, and then does. Um, and then Paul spent some times with Christians being discipled and then like goes on a tear. Um, his whole life is devoted to it. So his personal testimony is very interesting and there's evidence that he probably had a significant spiritual experience there um, because he also started facing persecution from the people he was, you know, previously were his sponsors yeah, i mean it was like it, yeah it would be like if michael makes like, it clear like, he had a full conversion experience uh and was like started doing like yeah christian like youth like uh, uh conferences and uh, chris dennis leary and michael moore all in one and was like okay now i'm making film for christ 
Yeah. Yeah. Even more so than that. It yeah. Would be, it would, yeah, it would it, yeah. It's hard to think of someone who was, who was as anti. Um, there, no one exists in America. That's like that. I don't, it yeah. has a position of power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, why should we trust Paul? Ah, uh, well he, uh, so it, it should, there should be no disagreements. And I think he does a pretty good job of saying when he says this and not God says this, um, and therefore he might be writing in, in cultural contexts, right? He so says, some of it is more just like, Hey, here's my take on it. Like, well, yeah, there's like a, a different portion of the Bible where he says like, Hey, I don't permit women to speak in church. Right. Well, he was writing to the answer of a problem of like women sitting on one side of church, men sitting on the other and women who couldn't read hollering and asking questions to their husbands, like across like a room or something else. He's like, well, like have the women ask the men the questions at home. Right. Like I don't, permit that in, right. in my churches. Right. right. So some of it is cultural. Um, so number one, I think that that's, that's very good uh, delineations for us uh, Two, um, I'll use an example like Jesus with a woman who was, uh, you know, caught in adultery. Interesting that the man wasn't also dragged in front of him, but he just says like, Hey, that's the whole, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Everybody leaves the old, from the oldest first. And then he, you know, woman where your accusers, you know what? Okay. Uh, yeah, go and sin no more. So Christ says, go and sin no more. Right. right? And that's important. Not just go and not just, you know, uh, he was right. without sin. So no judgment. He goes, sin no more. Paul extrapolates on what that is um, with sin no more. If set your minds on things above, he's like breaking it down. He's answering questions to people who are experiencing real persecution. And they want to know like, hey, for instance, in different letters, what happens after death? We want to know because where did our relatives go? They were di- they died believing this. Yeah, so he's answering those kinds of questions, and so right. he's also it's a heavy burden. Yeah, it is a heavy burden, and he 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 says it is. So, um, well, one, I think he's a genuine uh, convert here, sure. and two, um, what he says uh, builds, agrees, and um, sort of specifies what what Christ says. Okay, so there's not necessarily like a metaphysical aspect to his his knowledge or understanding, except through you know his just own personal relationship yeah, with Christ and prayer. Well, no, man, that's um, a great. I think yeah, he's got the Holy Spirit in him, right? And the Holy Spirit doesn't sort of contradict itself. Now there are certain limitations to his own knowledge, and I'll say expand on both those. Yeah, he has the Holy Spirit in him, the same Spirit that was in Jesus, the same Spirit that's in me. The Spirit does not contradict, right? If but he's still a human. No. Um right so he's fallible he's still like lesser than christ i guess in terms of his like oh yeah certainly man he's a man he's 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 an he's an apostle one of the original like believers um as he's the lesser apostle he calls himself but yeah interesting interesting well now that's all you know a little bit of that is semantic and uh and that sort of thing but i just was more interested than anything in your in your take on that well you know what and i appreciate that paul thing just because a lot of good critiques christian scientists as well say like oh paul took the message of christ and like perverted it and you know made it way too legalistic and some other things and that's why i'd encourage anyone this is why i wanted to start with the gospels and why i'd want to do like you know john or or mark with you next is because at the key points in my life where I've been like, wait a second, I'm getting confused. Smarter people than me disagree on this. And it actually has implications for my life and beliefs. I need to go back to what Jesus said. Right. And so I do that. And that's, that's, that's the ultimate reference point when, when in doubt. Yeah. Find the red words. Okay. Well, that's uh, I think that pretty much covers everything I had on Colossians. It's a short book and, 
yeah, you know, if, uh, if anybody out there is interested to check out the epistles, they're short, they, they're kind of pack a punch. Um, but, but yeah, I think there's, there's something to be gained from it, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, anybody who lives in a Western culture or, or otherwise should probably read the Bible because it's pretty much between that and Shakespeare, the foundation of our culture. So worth at least checking out. Yeah. Um, Adam Smith. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Adam Smith, um, David Hume, but those are the guys on the opposite side. So yeah. anyways, um, all um, right. All that to say, um, how's traveling? Where are you at right now? I am in Omaha. Um, Thoughts God, on Omaha? Yes. Yeah. Omaha, somewhere <laughs> in middle America. You know, I used to be a big Counting Crows fan in high school. That's that's uh, another of my <laughs> things I try to forget. But, you know, they got some good jams, man. I don't care. Yeah, you know, no, no problem with Counting Crows. I've got a couple lines uh, or uh, songs from them on Making Dinner Playlist. Yeah, they got some good songs. They got some good songs. Um yeah. So anyways, uh, Omaha, I'm on my way to somewhere in the central Midwest, uh, today yet to be determined. Indianapolis, Cincinnati area. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, and then, and then onward from there, but, uh, so far so good. It's hot as hell did not realize I've learned something very interesting about Nebraska today, which is cause I went to the gym and I was asking him, I was like, man, it's so humid here. Like, how is that possible? And apparently, and this, I don't know the truth of this. I haven't independently verified, but apparently it's the corn. The fields of corn have so much moisture in them that that is what creates the humidity in the air. And unlike the coasts, there's no like, you know, breeze coming off the ocean. So it's just corn water just so in it, the air. <laughs> is it like, how did they relay that information to you? Was it like a point of pride? Like, hmm. That's the corn water. Or yeah, was it like, it, oh, was, yeah. it was like, a, you know, actually, <laughs> it's our corn that does that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's your fun fact for the day about, about Nebraska. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I like Omaha, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I said that to the guys at the gym too. I was like, you know, actually, I really like it here. And I was like, I didn't mean to say it like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> against all my better judgment um but no it's uh it's a nice place i, I recommend visiting right on well you know what um I, I know you're doing a lot of reading audio listening but um yeah at the end of this interested in sort of your reflections as per traveling passing through america um you know stopping at random coffee shops obviously you know one thing i've tried to do whenever we do like a texas road trip particularly going to like austin or san antonio is if we're going to stop, we're always going to stop once, you know, is go off a ta- to a town at least 10 minutes off the highway mm. and then stop. So like, like a place where you have to like get off the interstate and then and like, drive, drive for almost you. 10 minutes. And yeah. then you're like, Ooh, we did that at, at one point. And so it was, it was actually last fourth of July. We're probably going to do it again. And I just happened to be just dressed like a freaking prep store. I had like pastel shorts on a polo <laughs> shirt. I happen to have like, you know, uh, my I, I got a pretty unique, uh, handcrafted good site, gold ring, uh, a watch. Anyway, I was, I, you know what, I was looking like I was fresh, and we were going to church in Dallas, I think is why. And um, boy, man, we stopped up in one of those stops, and it happened to be like, uh, you know, the breakfast place in the town, and 
you know, it was Sunday. So people were either going to or coming from like one of the three churches. Yeah. And we walked in and basically the first thing the lady said is like, wow, where are you guys from? And so <laughs> it was one you of those. Were real, you were a dandy. <laughs> you were yeah. a carpetbagger. Some, yeah, some <laughs> North Dallas trash kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, that is a great so stop somewhere that's like, you would have had like, just to pull up Google Maps and be like, oh, dude, I bet like no fresh person has passed through there except like, you know. Hey, so- and I'm a cis white straight man, so I have nothing to worry about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let but- him know that. Um, you should, <laughs> that said, I should probably get my stuff packed and get on the road and get checked out of here. But, uh, it was good wrapping with you, man. I appreciate yes. looking forward to more, more books. Okay. Very good. And, uh, we'll do the communism one next as, uh, as our next reading installment. All right. Give my love to Samantha and Cato and I'll talk to you soon. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And... Uh, Look forward to seeing you next time.